Nancy chose that song not really knowing the sermon or the theme, and the Holy Spirit worked it out, and that's a perfect uh, song to lead into the sermon and the message today. Children are dismissed to junior church, uh, by the way. Uh, Children can go to junior church as we begin. Most always forget that. But today we're going to talk about that, really making uh, Jesus our home and knowing that we are saved. We're going to be going here in just a moment to a few passages, but one's got to be Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. So if you'd want to begin to turn there as I introduce the passage and just kind of park there for a few moments, I want to talk about salvation. I wanted to begin the 2020 year originally talking about being contagious Christians. And I had a sermon series all laid out, and I was calling it Be Contagious in 2020. Be Contagious in 2020. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit was convicting me to talk first about knowing Jesus in 2020. So today actually begins a sermon series about knowing Jesus in 2020. You know, there's different times when I really can tell the Holy Spirit's convicting me a certain way. And one way I know that he's really convicting me is because the convictions don't, don't let up. They don't stop. I can go to bed at night and the next morning I'm thinking about the same thing and the evening is coming back. And so I had that sermon series laid out, Be Contagious in 2020. And for a few days or a few weeks, I just kept feeling the conviction. No, we need to talk about knowing Jesus in 2020. We need to talk about having a relationship with Jesus in 2020. So eventually... I kept thinking, but Lord, I have this service series all laid out. I have illustrations in mind, video clips, everything. But eventually I thought, all right, I surrender. Because, you know, we really aren't going to be contagious with our faith if we really do not know him. And by know him, I mean having a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about a sinner's prayer. I'm not talking about easy believism. I'm talking about having a relationship with Jesus. And so really I want to challenge you with, and I I hope you seriously take this extremely seriously. Don't trifle with the holiness of God. Don't trifle with your salvation. You know, we need to have a great reverence for the Lord. And a great, uh, God is holy. And our sin is a total violation against him. But I don't think we see it that way. Even as Christians who have been Christians for years, decades, I don't think we see it that way. I think we just think, I'm forgiven in Jesus. I'll just sin now and repent later and, you know, things like that. I want to challenge you. Take your relationship with God seriously. If we have a trifling attitude uh, towards sin, we probably do not know Jesus. Sometimes people send me these emails and they're forewords that people pass on to me. A lot of times I don't really read them, just so you know in advance. But a long time ago... um, a long time ago, I read this one, a long time ago, so maybe you've heard it. This Sunday school teacher says, I was testing the children in my Sunday school class to see if they understood the concept of getting to heaven. I asked them, if I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale, and gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? The children said, no, that's not going to get you to heaven. She says, if I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? Again, the answer was no. By now, she says, I was starting to smile. Hey, this was fun. Well, then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my husband, would that get me into heaven? I asked them again. Again, they all answered no. 
She says, I was just bursting with pride for them. Well, I continued then, how can I get into heaven? And a five-year-old shouted from the back, you got to be dead. <laughs> you got to be dead to get into heaven. And that intros, of course, this, this, this sermon about knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. You know, we are all dead spiritually. Our sin makes us all dead spiritually. The moment we sin, there is separation from God, and we are dead spiritually. And that's why we need Jesus to reconnect us, rewire us spiritually, to replace our spiritual fuse, to fix that circuit and make us alive spiritually. So I want to know, I want to talk to you this morning about knowing Jesus. And most of you may think that you know Jesus, and if that's the case, please keep listening, and I really hope it's true. But the Bible does tell us all to examine ourselves and make sure we are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says that. Examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith unless you fail the test. You know, how many of you know of an actor, an act, well, let me ask you, I said it wrong. How many of you know an actor or an actress or a football player or a baseball player or the president of the United States or someone famous? I'm sure that many of you, this is rhetorical, you don't need to raise your hands. Um, I'm sure that many of you know of these people, but that doesn't mean you know them. If you start trying to call Ron Howard or make up some people, George Clooney, whoever, or Colt McCoy or Ben Roethlisberger, I'm guessing they're not going to answer your call. I'm guessing if you keep calling them, you're going to be labeled a stalker and they're going to turn you over and the police are going to be talking to you, you know, things like that. You probably know of them, but you don't know them. And I want to know, do we know of Christ or do we know Jesus? Do we have a relationship with Jesus? Logic, I mean, just using our basic reasoning skills would show if we're not spending time with him, we don't know him. We don't have a relationship with him. Now, how do we spend time with God? How do we spend time with Jesus? They're called spiritual disciplines, but we don't like the word discipline, so we're calling spiritual habits. Unless we're talking about sports, then we can use the word discipline. Church? No, kids don't really like that. I learned that as a youth pastor. Discipline's a bad word, you know. But it's really not. Habits. Spiritual habits. Prayer. Scripture reading. What we might call daily devotions. Uh, time with our church family. The fasting. Fasting is one I really struggle with, I'll be honest with you. I've tried it here and there. I don't like depriving myself of food. But, um, but that's the whole point. When you fast, you're supposed to be saying, I'm hungry. I feel hunger pains. I need you more, Jesus. I need you more. So I'm going to pray right now. These are spiritual habits. This is how we know Jesus. This is how we tune in with Jesus. If we're not in these spiritual habits, we don't know him. We don't have a relationship with him. Church commitment and time with prayer partners, small groups, Sunday school classes, beyond Sunday morning worship are critical for really knowing Jesus because God speaks with the community. If you're not with his community, you really are missing out on a vital way that the Holy Spirit speaks. We need that. I know some of us think, I'm there on Sunday morning, that's enough. I come to worship, that's enough. Well, do we really want to treat our relationship with Jesus that way? 
I'm giving you enough, Lord. You're the greatest person to ever lived. You're the greatest being in the universe. You hung the stars in the sky. You can be in the Milky Way and in the um, Delta Quadrant from Star Trek. It really doesn't exist. You can be there all at the same time, but Sunday morning's enough. Do we really want to treat our relationship with Jesus that way? Some of us may think about Sunday school or small groups or midweek Bible study. We may think, I don't really get anything out of it. I can do just as much just studying the Bible at home. And I just would ask you, are you that disciplined to study the Bible on your own? And secondly, are you that arrogant and conceited to think that you're the authority all the time? We need community. And the Holy Spirit speaks powerfully when the Word of God is connected with the community of the church together. The Holy Spirit is just powerful together. When we isolate ourselves, we limit God. So over the next six weeks or so, I'm going to talk about this, knowing Jesus, having a relationship with him, these spiritual habits, calm disciplines, calm habits, calm devotions, call them whatever, but they are critical to our relationship with Christ. And beginning today, we're going to talk about knowing Jesus. Do you know him or just know of him? You know, we can know all of Jesus' teachings and we can know everything he did and not really know Christ. Believing him doesn't, doesn't get us to heaven. You know, even the demons believe in God and tremble, the Bible says. Knowing about him, I'm going to give a quote in a moment from an atheist who knew plenty of proper doctrine. The demons know proper doctrine, but is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Lord? Give a relationship with him. My theme today is examine yourself and make sure that you are saved. Examine yourself, make sure you're saved. You know, this is kind of a, a sermon where, before any sermon, I'm, I'm, I have this little thing that I go through, and one of them is, how can people be encouraged today? And I'm just going to tell you, you know, this one might be kind of a downer. I'm going to be looking at a passage where people come before Jesus, and they say, I did this for you, I did this for you, I did this for you, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Whoa, that's a big deal. So, yeah, that's kind of a downer. So how can you be encouraged today? I hope this helps you to have confidence in your salvation. You know, the true believer can have confidence in their salvation, hopefully at the end of this sermon. And if you realize you're not a true believer, it really helps you to repent and turn back to Christ or turn to Christ for the first time. I hope this helps you to repent. It's important to repent and turn to Christ. Repent is another word that we don't really like today. We don't like to use that, that word. Repent means to more than just apologize, more than just say I'm sorry, but to turn around and live a different way. If you're living in sin, there's no repentance. If you repent and turn back to your sin, there's really no real repentance. The Bible describes that as a dog that returns to its vomit. It's not a pretty good image. I hope you will apply at the end of this sermon, I hope you will apply this sermon with the examination test at the end of this message. I'm going to give just a five-point examination test for you to reflect, and I hope that you take it seriously. I doubt it. I bet 50% of you, maybe more, will go home and just go on with life. But I hope you will encourage me. I don't need to know about it, but I will be encouraged either way. If you go home and you have daily devotional time with the Lord and you pray about these things. It's, obe it's obedience to 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself. Make sure you're in the faith. Let's read uh, together Matthew 7.21-23. through 23. Jesus is talking and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Notice you're saying it twice. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. 
then I will tell them plainly, just simply, Jesus is going to tell them quite plainly, I never knew you, away from you, evildoers. And so we, we, we look at this passage, and we have to think about it and think, what really saves us? You know, I've said it, and I'll say it again, confess, believe, trust, commit. You know, we confess we are sinners in need of a Savior, believe in Him as only Savior, trust in Him and commit to Him. What really saves us? Right here, how does, how does that passage go along with those four verbs I just mentioned? First, we see right here in this passage, just parked there, Matthew 7, 21, uh, we see that doctrine alone does not save us. Now, I love doctrine, so let me say right here, doctrine is important. And having the wrong doctrine can show that we're not really saved because what you're believing in is a cult or something. But doctrine alone, notice that word alone, doctrine alone does not save us. Now, think about where, we're at, where, where we are at in the Bible. This is a section at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking about knowing false teachers. In the previous verses, Jesus says that we will know them, we will know false teachers by their fruits. We see in that passage that they had, in this passage that we just read, that they had right doctrine. In Matthew 7, 21, they had right doctrine. Jesus says, they come to him with, Lord, Lord. This implies they see Jesus as Lord. It seems as though the people that Jesus is, in, is just talking about, and it's just a made-up example that he's talking about, though, though it seems like it will be real, uh, see him as Lord. It seems as though they have proper doctrine. There are many people who may have proper doctrine. They have correct doctrine, but do not know Jesus. You can have correct doctrine and not know Jesus. I read a, a long time ago, I read about this, um, this article that talked about a debate between an atheist and a supposed Christian. I'm going to put it on the screen. Marilyn Sewell is a Unitarian Universalist minister. Unitarian means that they deny the Trinity. They deny the Trinity. That would be a doctrinal error. Uh, Universalist means that they believe everybody goes to heaven, whether you know Jesus or not. You know, everybody goes to, goes to heaven. Christopher Hitchens is the author, God is not good, how religion poisons everything. Christopher Hitchens is a militant atheist. He's not just an atheist. He's one of the few that are a militant atheist writing against Christianity. But you're going to see right here that Christopher Hitchens knows proper doctrine. Marilyn Sewell does not. But Christopher Hitchens is not saved. He would admit that. But he still knows the doctrine. Look at it. She says, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian. And I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. Now, liberal means anything goes. At its, at its, at its base, it, when she says, I'm a liberal Christian, anything goes with the scriptures. She doesn't mind compromising them. Fundamentalists, the fundamentalists go back to five fundamentals of the faith that were fundamental to Christian faith in the early 20th century. Things like the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the atonement of Christ on the cross, miracles, and the, I think the resurrection. I might have got one wrong, but five fundamentals of the faith. Now, the fundamentalists did keep adding to the fundamentals, by the way, but that's what they're referring to. She says, I'm a liberal Christian. I don't take the stories from the Bible literally. <clears throat> she says, I don't believe in the doctrine of the atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? He says, only in this respect. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, in other words, the Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. 
Here is an atheist, a militant atheist, quoting proper doctrine to a liberal believer. She calls herself a Christian. He knows the proper doctrine. He knows it quite clear. She says, I disagree with that. I consider myself a Christian. I believe in the story as story, as narrative. In Jesus as a person whose life is exemplary that I want to follow. But I do not believe in all that stuff that I just outlined. He says, I simply have to tell you that every major Christian, including theologians, has said that without the resurrection and without the forgiveness of sins, what I call the vicarious redemption is meaningless. In fact, without that, it is even a nice story, even if it's true. Again, militant atheist knows proper doctrine. She says, it doesn't really matter to me if it's true literally. It matters to me whether the story has efficacy for my life. And he says, well, that's what I meant to say when C.S. Lewis, for example, says, he's quoting our guy. He's an atheist, and he's quoting C.S. Lewis to argue with her about proper beliefs, proper doctrine. Doctrine means kind of established Christian beliefs, okay? C.S. Lewis says, if this man was not the son of God, then his teachings were evil. Because if you don't believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you can get to him by the way, the truth, and the life offered by the gospel, then there's no excuse for telling people to take no thought for the morrow, for example, as he did. It would be an evil nonsense. Wow. Here is an atheist. He has proper doctrine, but he's not saved. He would admit that. We need to pray for his salvation. Over the last 50, 60, 70 years, there have been notable, outspoken atheists turn their life over to Christ. And it would be really awesome if, if he's one of them. We also need to pray for the liberal Christian, you know, such as Marilyn Sewell, who we just referenced. But what the point is, doctrine does not save. Don't get me wrong, doctrine is very important. Sometimes wrong doctrine, I've already said this, repeating for emphasis shows that one is not saved. But that is another sermon. So if you keep reading, back to Matthew 7, 21 through 23, if you keep reading, it, said, it, it seems that they do not submit to him as Lord. They say, Lord, Lord, but they really do not submit to Jesus as their Lord. Even the demons believe in God and and, and, and tremble. But do the demons submit to Jesus as Lord? No. You know, they do not do. These people who come to Jesus do not do his Father's will. We need to ask ourselves, are we doing the Father's will? Are we making Jesus Lord of our life? Is he our Lord? We also see emotions do not save us. Doctrine doesn't save, emotions do not save. In the passage, it seems that the people who approach Jesus are quite serious. They seem very emotional. They seem very persistent. Uh, they, 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 they seem to really care. They say, Lord, twice, not once. Lord, Lord, we did this. We are passionate. We were passionate about you. Still, that does not save them. We can have correct doctrine. We can be passionate about it and not be saved. At the end of verse 21, Jesus says, The one who is saved does the will of his Father. Actions do not save us. Right actions are important, but they do not save us. And then another one. They say to Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, we could easily think they did a miracle or they prophesied. That, that must mean they're saved. How can they do miracles? How can they prophesy if they're not saved? Well, even the demons can do counterfeit miracles. In Revelation 13, 13 through 14, it, it, that's a key passage where the demons do counterfeit miracles. 
The devil does counterfeit miracles. When it says, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophesy could mean preaching the word. It could mean rebuking sin. It could also mean calling out the future. These false believers could do that naturally without God. They could be faking it, so to speak. Um, They could be doing miracles or even trying to call out things by demonic forces. Jesus says they're not saved. They say to Jesus, did we not cast out demons in your name? Again, they're not saved. In Acts 19, 13 through 16, we see false teachers, non-Christians, try to cast out demons. It's actually a comical passage. I would encourage you to read it later on. These false teachers try to mock Paul and Barnabas. And the demons say, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. You, I don't know. And the demon-possessed man, being possessed by the demons, beat him up and threw him in the streets naked. And because of that, many people were saved. Maybe the demons did not stay out when they tried to cast him out. Or maybe the demons didn't even come out. These people could be lying. Maybe they never even did these miracles. Miracles do not save us. They did miracles in Jesus' name. They could be lying. Maybe they did, maybe they did the miracles by demonic power. Again, Revelation 13, 13 through 14. So how do you know if you're saved? Jesus says, do the will of his Father. This would be meaning follow his word. Are we following his word? Is Jesus our 24-7 Lord of our life? Or is he our sometimes Savior? Or maybe he's our fire insurance. He's our get-out-of-hell-free card. doesn't work that way. Is Jesus Lord of our life? Do we have a relationship with Jesus? You know, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says we're saved by grace. Our works validate our faith, though. We're not saved by our works. Our works are showing who we belong to. When we do the will of his Father, that is showing that we belong to King Jesus, that we are saved by Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Another passage, James 2, 18 through 19. Uh, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Our works show who we belong to. Our works show what team we are playing for. I'm reminded a long, long time ago, I think like 40, 50 years ago, some of you will know, there was a college football athlete who, um, I think he intercepted the ball, but he ran the wrong way. So instead of scoring a touchdown for his team, you know, he went back in the end zone, which I guess would have, would have probably scored a safety in that context. Went the wrong way. Listen, when we are doing works and doing the will of the Father, we are scoring touchdowns for Jesus, not the opponent. We're showing who we belong to, who we live for. So we're called to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes, examine yourselves, but how do we do that? Here are a few things to consider. Are we repentant of sin? Are we repentant of sin? Do we repent publicly? The Bible calls us to repent to those, to God, and also those who we sin against. Public sins need publicly repented of. How much has the Holy Spirit got a hold of your spiritual state convicting you to the point where you will repent to those you sinned against, including God. Does sin in our life grieve us? In Acts 2.38, they were grieved over sin. In Romans 7, Paul did not like the sin in his life. Does it grieve you? Does it bother you? If you go back to it the next day, I would guarantee you it's not bothering you. Do certain sins grieve us and others do not? 
When I was applying this, I thought about that. You know, sometimes certain sins grieve us, but others we're quite comfortable with. There's a little booklet called My Heart Christ's Home. Everybody should read it. Really powerful about this. It, it envisions a believer in Christ, and, but, uh, and, and Jesus is kind of cleaning up their, their house. But their house is just their spiritual life. And Jesus kind of cleans up the living room and the bedroom, but then there's the closet. And the person says, uh, no, you don't want to go in there, Lord. Jesus says, no, everything. We clean up everything. That's what Jesus wants to do. Does sin grieve us because it grieves God or because of selfish reasons? Meaning we might realize in just a pragmatic way that certain sins do not help us. And so they grieve us, but not because it's against God. They grieve us because we might get fired from our job. That's the wrong reason. It's not a bad reason, but the first reason is we sin against God. Psalm 51, King David says to the Lord, Against you, you only, I have sinned. All sin is against God. Do we desire to glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10.31 is Jesus our Lord? Do we follow him? Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, anyone can come after me, but he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or her cross, and follow. Are we following Jesus? Are we willing to take up our cross? That means we're willing to sacrifice our life to follow him. Is he our Lord? Now, we are all in process. I understand that. But are you growing in Christ? A Christian should be growing. Is Jesus our Lord? Now, here's a breakdown of five things to look for. It's kind of some of the things I just mentioned, but I just uh, put them in, in, in a, in a five-point way. Penitence towards sin. Do we have penitence towards sin? That's that sin grieving us. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, when David sinned, these are his repentant, his penitent psalms. Do we pursue righteousness? Do we love the things that God loves and not like the things, hate the things God hates? Do we have a willing and joyful submission to Christ and others? Don't forget others. James 4, 7 talks about submitting to God. Ephesians 5, 21 says, submit to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. Do we have a willing and joyful submission to Christ and others? Romans 13 says to submit to governing authorities. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 talks about submitting to church leadership. The church community is critical to your spiritual growth in knowing Christ. Do you have a longing to obey the word? A longing to obey the word being the Bible. And don't pick and choose the whole Bible. Do we, love, do we have love for God and others? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, the two greatest commandments. Um, in Luke, a, guy, a lawyer tried to test Jesus, saying, Who's my neighbor? And Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're to love our enemies. Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing love. Romans 12 says, bless those who curse us. The first thing to do is when we think of the people that are mean to us, pray. Don't gossip. Don't even gossip in your head. Pray. Love your enemies. So do you know him? I pray that you take that home. Think about it. Take the notes, the sermon home. Think about that five-point little way of examining yourself. Are you lost? And do you care? I fear that too many believers just really do not even care. I think oftentimes we really do not care. And let me tell you, it just sucks the life out of pastors and church leaders. It sucks the life out of other Christians. Because, you know, we want to grow, we want to see others grow spiritually, and people don't care. I know you're busy. I know you have other lives. But make Jesus your center not kind of the back burner thing. 
I have this little story for Henry Blackaby, and a lot of times I don't put illustrations like this on the screen, but today I wanted to, because this is just a, a startling, shocking story, and I'm going to, it's a true story, and I'm warning you in, in, in advance of the ending, it's just ultimately sad, but it's also sad when we trifle with sin, and trifle with our spiritual life. He says, the first funeral I ever conducted was for a beautiful three-year-old. She was the first child born to a couple in our church and the first grandchild in their extended family. Unfortunately, she was spoiled. While visiting the little girl's home one day, I observed that she loved to ignore her parents' instructions. When they, when they told her to come, she went. When they said sit down, she stood up. Her parents laughed, finding her behavior cute. Sometimes we think our trifling with the word of God is cute, don't we? Sometimes we think that our disobedience to God is cute. It's not. Sometimes we think playing around in church rather than taking notes in the sermon or, or being part of Sunday school is cute. It's not. The Lord, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Listen. Take notice. Take it seriously. One day their front gate, back to the three-year-old, one day their front gate was inadvertently left open. The parents saw their child escaping out of the yard and heading toward the road. To their horror, a car was racing down the street. As she ran out between two parked cars, they both screamed at her to stop and turn back. She paused for a second, looked back at her parents, then gleefully laughed as she turned and ran directly into the path of the oncoming car. The parents rushed her little girl to the hospital, but she died from her injuries. Henry Blackaby says, as a young pastor, this was a profound lesson for me. I realized I must teach God's people not only to recognize his voice, but also immediately to obey his voice when they hear him. It is life. Obedience to God, doing God's will, shows who we belong to, shows that we are saved. Responding to Jesus and making him Lord is serious. It is life. Just like that story is serious. Just like children obeying their parents when they're about to run in the street is serious. The Christian life, God's way is serious. Jesus gives us life now and life eternal. And the reason I'm going to focus on this for like six weeks is because we are offered and given a relationship with Christ. Do we have a relationship with Christ? Certainly it's a relationship of obedience. It's a relationship of submission. It's a relationship of making him Lord. But it's so much more than that. It's a relationship of having his presence with us through the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship of the joy that the Holy Spirit offers. It's a relationship of hope. It's a relationship of comfort. It's a relationship of support. And so much more. Are you living in relationship with Jesus? Can you honestly say right here, right now, that you've confessed that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Can you honestly say right here, right now, that you believe in Jesus as the only Savior? Can you honestly say... That you've trusted him and committed to him. I believe many times we believe in Jesus, but we certainly don't confess. And we may not trust and commit. Sin separates us from God. We need to repent of those things. Certainly, what does a Christian life mean? It means that we firmly make the decision to be with Jesus. In order to become like him. To learn and do all that he says. Then arrange your affairs around him. Are you arranging your affairs around Jesus? Are you making him Lord of your life? You know... Um, Jesus told people to consider the cost. I thought about doing an altar call today or something like that. I want, though, I'd rather you consider the cost. I'd rather you take this thoughts home and pray about it. Think about it. 
Jesus turned people away. The rich young ruler, go and sell everything you own, give it to the poor. He went away. Jesus was upset that he went away, but Jesus didn't chase him down. Jesus didn't say, only sell half of what you own. He didn't compromise the message. I ask you, consider this. Pray about it. Take it seriously. Repent when you need to. Turn to Christ. Commit to Christ. Celebrate. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. God wants a relationship with you that isn't only in heaven, that is now. He wants you to know him. And not as a back burner, front burner, center of your life, core beliefs. I know I went long. I promise I'll never do it again. <laughs> uh, that's just comic relief. I'll be here all day. And, um, but this is serious. It really is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us having a relationship with you. And that relationship certainly means that we repent of our sins. We confess we are sinners in need of a Savior, and you are the only Savior. We believe in you, Jesus, as the one and only Savior. We trust in you and commit to you. Lord God, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, are convicting everyone here, certainly myself included, where we need to repent. And Lord God, this isn't just for the new believer. It's for every one of us. All of us need to, every single day, and I pray that every day we do, we need to firmly make the decision to be with you. Every day we need to get up and say it. And Lord, I pray that we would. I pray that I would. Every day we need to say, I'm firmly making the decision. Today I'm going to live life with you, Jesus, in order to become like you. Lord, may every day we say, we want to be like you, Jesus, to learn and do all that you say and arrange our affairs around you. Lord God, I know we fall down and you give us your grace, grace, awesome grace in your mercy. Lord God, as that, 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 that door in that picture which Nancy mentioned. Lord, you're knocking. You want us to repent and open that door to you. Help us to do that now. Help us to do that every day. We know, Lord, it has to happen by the Holy Spirit within us. So we just ask that you would do it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.